0: This podcast is produced by Whisper and Mutter. Hi, how are you? It's Imani. I need your help. I don't know a lot about you, my listeners, aside from basic analytics, like the device you listen to this podcast on or how many downloads each episode gets. I want to understand you as a human. I am a UX researcher after all. (laughs) So can you please take an anonymous listener survey at yizzyresearch.com? It'll be really helpful for me. Thank you. Now, on to the show. You're listening to the Yizzy Research Podcast, the podcast for people who research people. You are listening to the voice of your host, Imani, UX researcher at and founder of the UX research company, Yizzy Research. I help organizations understand their users and I coach aspiring and practicing UX researchers in their career journeys. Mario is a market researcher and he owns a market research firm called Think Now. In our conversation, Mario talks about multicultural research and the challenges of building a panel, especially a multicultural panel. If you are a UX researcher, you should still listen to this episode because Mario gives practical advice about recruitment and building a panel. There's also some wonderful dialogue about acculturation, immigration, and identity. So, you're the co founder, Mario, and principal of a company called Think Now. And Think Now is a cultural insights agency. Can you tell us a little bit more about Think Now and what services it has?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, we are um, celebrating our 10 year anniversary this year. Um, we are a full service market research firm focused on the multicultural consumer. Um, and we are a technology first company. Uh, one of the core missions that we embarked upon when we first started think now was applying innovative research methodologies to an audience that typically has been left behind by researchers from a technology standpoint. Uh, a lot of the time that was driven by, you know, this notion, this assumption that, you know, Latinos don't have the internet, uh, you know, b- that Black people don't have high speed internet to do you know, certain research products. Um, and, you know, we found that's not the case. And in fact, the opposite's true. Um, if you look at multicultural cohorts, looking at, you know, Black respondents, uh, Latino respondents, they actually over-index when we look at some technology measures. So we wanted to build a company that um, challenged those assumptions and applied these innovative research technologies. Some are not that innovative anymore, right? Like mobile research is now ubiquitous. But back when we launched Think Now, nobody was really doing that among multicultural audiences. So, um, you know, so in terms of, you know, specifically what we do, we, we have uh, several divisions as a company. One is full service research. So when you think of market research, um, you know, sitting down, with an end client like ARP, for example, Honda, Google, Facebook, understanding what their objectives are, putting together the questionnaire, fielding the survey, getting the responses, data processing. Um, You know, that's one side of the business. The other side, we own and operate a um, Hispanic panel and also a multicultural panel. Um, Again, applying that same mission of, getting an audience that typically wasn't represented in the online panel space, creating a space where they feel safe to share their opinion. Um, And so that's another side of the business. Um, And then the newest side of the business, the most exciting for me, is a research technology platform called ThinkNow Connect, which allows strategists, marketers, researchers to log in define their audience, um, click search, and pulling from first-party data that we've been doing for the past 10 years gives you a full picture of the consumer, uh, everything from the type of websites they visit, the cars they drive, the food they eat, and, again, our value proposition being a lot of the marketing technology and research technology tools out there. Once you start to delve into cultural factors like ethnicity country of origin, language, the base sizes get smaller and smaller and unstable. So we put a lot of time in making sure that our tool uh, represented these audiences and really um, gives you a full picture of who multicultural respondents are in the U.S.
0: The crux of ThinkNow is doing research for multicultural audiences, including um, Hispanics, right, and Latinos. Um, so ThinkNow owns and operates one of the largest and most representative Hispanic online panels in the industry. How did this panel come to be?
1: Uh, my background is actually in the sample industry. So I'm not a market researcher by trade. I'm actually a marketer. Um, and I started my market research career At a small company called Garcia Research, and at the time, uh, this was 2008, 2009. You know, there was a great need back then to research Hispanics online because at that point, um, you know, everybody was doing research online, and the Hispanic population was growing rapidly. Uh, The 2000 census uh, vastly underestimated how many Hispanics were in the country. So everybody was scrambling to understand this consumer back then, and research was being pushed online. And so many companies tried to you know, pivot, um, apply the same techniques that they were doing to building a Hispanic online panel. Um, and Garcia Research was a great company, interesting company. They had been around uh, for over 15 years before I joined them and focused specifically on Latinos. Um, think now we, you know, we are multicultural, so, you know, Asian, uh, black and Hispanic, but I started my career focused exclusively on, um, the Latino audience. And so they hired me, um, I was previously at MSN Latino building online communities. Um, and they hired me because they, they realized they saw in me that I was able to create these online spaces and attract Latinos, um, so, even though I had no panel building experience, they hired me to build what became one of the first representative panels. And so, within two years, um, that panel led to the sale of Garcia Research to Knowledge Networks and then GFK and Ipsos. Um, and so, I really learned everything about building panels there and kind of took it a step further and think, think now. So, one of the key things that I learned there is that the online panel industry is really built for one type of consumer. Um, and, and that's a non-hispanic white consumer, right? Uh, someone that's comfortable you know being in front of a computer, comfortable having all their communications be electronic. Um, and when I was building the panel, I realized you know one of the big portions I was missing in the online sample industry was Spanish dominant Hispanics. And typically, if you're Spanish dominant in this country, um, you're you're either recently immigrated or you have strong ties to your home country, um, and you know, email, uh, maybe not is not an everyday part of your day. Right? You definitely have email. You're definitely online, uh, but unlike somebody who's working a white collar job and kind of lives on email. Um, that's not necessarily the case for many people in this country. And so one of the key things is, you know, in building representative panels, and this goes, um, I think this is applicable to non-Latino audiences as well, is that you've got to really kind of understand how the how your consumer engages with things online. And so one thing that we realized in our research is that, um, you know, there's some barriers to getting Latinos, like you know, the all email issue, for example, and there's some real privacy concerns as well. Um, you know, I, I think we take for granted that, you know, we 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 kind of share information. Being in this marketing world, we share information pretty freely with companies, right? We accept things without reading all the terms and conditions, um, but that's not the case for many people. Um, and so, we created a one eight hundred number. Um, that allowed the respondent to call us and make sure and ask us questions. Um, and, and, and a simple thing like that, having a person that answers the phone on the other end and knowing that it's a real person. Um, yeah, you can put a FAQ on the website, but it's different when you call someone and ask them the questions and address those concerns. Um, so that's one thing that we took at Think now. Um, seriously. And we've expanded that now. Um, and now all of our panels, you're able to engage with us across social media. You know, one thing that's really uh, big with us is we have weekly Facebook lives. Um, so lots of people, uh, maybe they don't feel comfortable calling us, but they, stay, they, they do see Facebook as a uh, trusted source of information, a trusted medium. And so we hold weekly Facebook lives where all of our respondents can go in and actually talk face to face to our panel manager and ask them a question. Um, so things like that where we're addressing speci- specific concerns like privacy um, and and not just being this you know kind of Wizard of Oz person in the back that you never see, we have a face to our panel. Um, and I think that's you know one, that's one of the big reasons we've been able to be successful among multicultural audiences.
0: And you mentioned that your background was originally in marketing and not necessarily market research. And you were hired at a previous employer before starting ThinkNow. You were working at a company called, um, you said it was Garcia Research. And then you were hired there to build a panel. So can anyone build a panel? Let's say if there are researchers listening to this and they're like, hey, I want to build a panel. Can anyone build a panel?
1: Yeah, I think anyone can build a panel with the caveat that it's... it's uh... It's cost intensive. Um, so when we we started thinking now we actually were not going to build a panel, mainly because we're completely self-funded. Um, we've never taken venture capital. we've never taken any kind of outside investment at all. Um, and so when we launched the company, we were purely a consultancy. However, because I did build that panel like Garcia research, P, you know, companies started asking for sample and we realized, wow, okay, there, there's clearly still a need for, for diverse sample in the marketplace. And the, so that's when we started to embark on building our own panel, um, really through funding it through debt, right? Um, so, I mean, the short answer is yes, anybody can build a panel. Um, but, you know, I think... You know, is it going to be successful? Uh, I don't know. You know, there's the panel industry or specifically the sample industry. Unfortunately, um, it's becoming less and less attractive to build a panel because it's starting to become a commodity. There's a cost is starting to be driven down. Um, You have a lot of great innovations from a technology standpoint that's enabling you to build a panel easier than ever. Um, but, but you know, getting your money back is quite difficult. Um, we've been able, again, to be successful because we're focused on niche audiences. Um, I think that's much more difficult, and that's something, you know, the reason we've been able to thrive is that larger companies who have the funds, who are much better funded than we are, don't necessarily have, um, they probably have the understanding, they probably know, the steps they need to take to build diverse panels, but it's not only is it cost intensive; it, it takes a lot of time, right? Like if we look at the amount of people it takes to manage our panels, it's much more than your traditional panel. Yeah, you, you need somebody that's answering the phone, um, somebody that's bilingual. Um, looking at our Asian panel, you know, sometimes we get questions in a language that we don't necessarily have the capability to respond in. Um, There's, uh, you know, incentives. Um, So it takes a lot of manpower and time. And so we've kind of know some tricks doing it before at Garcia Research that we've been able to optimize, I think now. Um, so, So, yeah, so the answer is yes. But I think there's, you know, there's a caveat there defining what type of panel you want to build, how big, how profitable you want to be.
0: If you're enjoying this podcast, go to Apple Podcasts and give it a five-star rating and a glowing review. Subscribe, follow, Many of you messaged me to tell me how much you like the podcast, but it's even better if you share it with your coworkers, mentees, and mentors on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and any other platform I forgot to mention. Spread the love, don't keep me to yourself. Also, if you are an aspiring or even a current UX researcher who needs help with your resume, interviewing skills, professional branding, cover letter, LinkedIn profile, and portfolio, consider applying for the Yizzy Research Coaching Program. In the last part of our conversation, Mario talks about how niche is too niche when sampling, why mass marketing is inauthentic, and the problems of the idea of acculturation and then you also mention the fact that one of the strengths of think now is the fact that you have a niche panel right so when it comes to sampling how niche is too niche
1: i don't think you can get too niche and and the reason being is that i think when we look at marketing in general which market research is a function of marketing right like we without marketing there is no market research marketing is becoming extremely niche um and, and and i and and I would go as far to say like the most successful brands, the most successful companies are launching really niche campaigns, right It's no longer um, you know to have a hispanic campaign or a latino campaign uh, feels kind of old school now, right um it's about the afro latina campaign um it's about you know the, you know, androgynous campaign. Like I think marketing successful. Marketing is becoming more and more niche. And there's something interesting that happens when you become more specific, it resonates with more people and it sounds counterintuitive, but when you start to think about that, it makes sense, right? Because I think uh, the millennial generation, certainly Gen Z they can sniff out authenticity and they can sniff out bs and when you try to make a mass market appeal when you try to make a message that's going to resonate with the most people those oftentimes are the most inauthentic but when you have a very very specific consumer in mind and you create a campaign you create messaging around that that's when not only does it capture that very niche audience i think it resonates with a lot of people right and i think I think something that outside of the advertising world that more people can kind of connect with this idea about specificity being, um, you know, a, a, a having a wide appeal is like, you know, think about your favorite content, right? On Netflix or HBO Max or whatever, right? We we look at these stories like, you know, I don't know, Oscars are at the top of my mind. So I think of Moonlight, right? That's a ve- That's a very specific story set in a very specific place and time um, and 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 yet it resonated with so many people, right i I think um, I think we're gonna see more and more niche marketing and with that, I don't think that there's a panel that's too niche.
0: Um, so you talked about specificity, and also we talked about, you said that um, you don't think that there's a such thing as being too niche when it comes to market research. So I wanted to revisit a post you made on LinkedIn in December, and this is what you posted on LinkedIn. Acculturation has long been used in market research among Hispanic respondents, but it is time to revisit its use. Acculturation assumes a linear progression towards American culture. But as American culture becomes increasingly shaped by diverse audiences, what are we acculturating to? End quote. So I really wanted to spend some time actually just talking about that post you made on LinkedIn a few months ago. If not in terms of acculturation, how should market researchers be thinking about Hispanic audiences?
1: I think before I answer that, I'll kind of expand that, you know, what I was what I was thinking there is that, you know, the U.S. is becoming increasingly multicultural right what and 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 when we look at gen z for example it's going to be the first generation that non hispanic whites are no longer the majority and i don't think we as a nation have wrapped our head around the, the importance of that or the significance of that and i don't think definitely marketers have not wrapped their head around that and so um you know that post i was kind of thinking about Acculturation, acculturation has been outdated for a while. Um, you know, that demographic fact aside, um, you know, acculturation is kind of a... I mean, it's an ignorant concept, right? It assumes that when someone comes to this country, um, they want to acculturate to American culture, and that's not necessarily the case. And also you know, what is American culture? There's so many facets of it. And this is where the demographic component comes in. You know, like, it's arguably like, um, you know, Black culture is American culture, right? But when you think about acculturation, that's not what people have in mind. So I just feel like the concept needs to be scrapped Mm -hmm. completely, because um, it's dated. Um, Now, the issue is, is that market researchers we like to put things into boxes, and we kind of have to from a quantitative perspective. You know, how do you measure things? How do you convey to a brand that things are changing if you can't put it in a box? Um, and so, you know, really when you get down to acculturation and looking at, and this has been primarily used among Hispanic audiences, but also among Asian audiences as well. I think at the core of it is is language because acculturation a lot of time was used for companies to determine whether or not they should be advertising in Spanish or whatever, you know, Asian language that they're looking to potentially invest in. The top Asian languages in the US being, um, you know, Chinese, Vietnamese. Um, And so I, I think, you know, Looking at what you're using acculturation for, I mean, just go directly to what you need language, right? That's one component. Um, and another thing is, you know, we, we, we've co developed with one of our good friends, Dr. Jake Benafla. He, he runs a journal of cultural marketing science. Um, we developed another measure called the bi dimensional identity. And what that is, is that it takes two scales the American identity measure. Which measures one's propensity um, or one's uh, ties to the concept of being American, and the ethnic identity measure, which measures one's ties to their own cultural group. And this is not necessarily a country of origin. This goes for Latinos, Asians, and blacks as well. And we combine those two measures. Um, I think it I think combined there are about 16 questions. That measures at the same time how American one feels and how ethnic one feels. And I think multifaceted measures like that are really the future, right? Because if I think about myself, um, you know, I was born in this country, but both of my parents are of Mexican origin. My first language was Spanish. You know, I strongly identify with Mexican-American culture, but I'm also very American, and one doesn't preclude the other. And so if I look at myself and if I took a traditional acculturation scale, which is typically four things, it's years in the U.S., language spoken at home, and um, media consumed, so what language do you consume your media in, and affinity for home culture, if I were to take the acculturation measure, um they would say that that I'm acculturated. Um but that, you know, that doesn't capture who I am, right? I I speak Spanish. Um you know, I I cook traditional Mexican food. Um you know, appeals to my culture when done well resonate deeply with me. And so, um I I think we have to move beyond this idea of acculturated and an unacculturated. And also, you know, the the wording itself is problematic. When you tell someone they're unacculturated, it's like they're 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 missing something, right? Like, um, and 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 that's just poor phrasing. Like if we're going to use it, we have to say non-acculturated. Um, but I I just question the whole concept of acculturation in general.
0: So an alternative to Acculturation versus being unacculturated is the bi dimensional identity um, scale or that measure. Right and you you said like on one end when talking about um, Hispanic specifically how how much of their ethnic heritage do they relate to as opposed to how much of their American identity they relate to as well right so if we're thinking in terms of sampling and in terms of creating a diverse sample, how do you balance the different extremes on that bidimensional identity scale?
1: Um, I don't know if we can balance for that I think I think um i think I think one would create a sample frame like you would traditionally create a sample frame you know based on u s census measures of uh region country of origin age income ethnicity et cetera and you know the census doesn't measure how one identifies, how you know, in terms of culture, right? But I think if I, I think if you create that sample frame, and what we do is we create a sample frame, um, and then you layer on top of that, that that identity measure, you can start to make smarter decisions because that's ultimately what we're trying to do. We're trying to enable companies to make smarter decisions to reach these audiences. And so, with that being said, right, like if I'm a company looking to do. A campaign targeted at let's say let's say uh, you know Asians in the South you can layer you know you can create your sample frame like you traditionally do, granted that it's 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 correct right because there's there's issues with sample frames that don't include diverse audiences, but I'm assuming that you have your sample frame that's inclusive of all the major, ethnic groups in the U.S. and every every all the other components. You can then layer that bi-dimensional identity measure on top of that, look at the area. In this case, we're looking at Asians in the South and the U.S. and see, okay, what, what does that group there look like in terms of their identity? And that can inform your marketing, right? Do we lead with more Asian-inspired themes in our marketing and outreach? Or... Does this cohort here in the South identify with more American, right? And so it's all about giving those insights to the company, the brand to make better decisions that resonate with that consumer. Uh, Because one thing I was thinking about driving here um, to record the podcast is like, not everything, not every single product or service has to connect with me culturally. Right. Um. There's some things where it makes sense, and there's some things that it doesn't. Right. Like batteries are batteries. Um. So like, you know, as a Latino, like I'm, you know, my battery buying habits aren't affected by my culture, but there are some things that are, like an on an automobile, and you wouldn't necessarily think that, right? But family dynamics, things that I find culturally interesting, or things that I put in high regard are going to affect my automobile decision-making. My cultural background affects that more so than other things, right? And so um, it's all about giving, giving those relevant insights to the, the brand or company. I hope that makes sense.
0: That makes perfect sense. Yeah, because everything doesn't always have to be um, targeted at diverse audiences. Like you said, batteries are batteries. (laughs) And I do have one final question just to wrap up in the past in the last few minutes. So I know you said you started off in more traditional marketing and not necessarily market research, but you pivoted that pivoted into market research gradually in your career. So what tips do you have for researchers, especially more qualitative researchers who want to implement more rigorous sampling Especially if they don't have a qualitative they don't they don't have a quantitative background, how do they get started with that?
1: So with qualitative researchers, I think um, you know, you, you rely heavily on recruiters, right? Um, and I've thought about this because I, I come from a quant world, a panel world. So I'm putting myself in the shoes of okay, I'm a quantitative researcher. Um, you know, I I'm gonna reach out to these recruitment houses. I think one step you can take is, you know, if you're working with a company that requires diverse audiences, oftentimes it could feel really difficult to recruit them, right? But lean on on your recruiting houses and and look outside the ones that you go to. Maybe maybe you you lean on one that's fantastic and um, has a diverse list and does really you know well for you, um, but maybe you don't and if that's the case there's so many diverse bus- businesses out there specifically for recruiting qualitative research that we work with across the country that are fantastic and that go into non-traditional recruitment spaces right because if you look at re- you know recruitment houses and a- across the country a lot of them are just built over time and then word of mouth so if you start out with a qualitative recruitment list that's already not diverse People know people who look like them, right? And so over time, that the the diversity of of, of that list is actually going to decrease. And so make sure that you're working with recruiters that are going into non traditional spaces. Like so, for you know one thing for us that we, you know we partner with some some recruiters that um, like when we're looking for Spanish dominant Hispanics, so many companies things are so difficult to reach. But the reality is that they're just working with partners that are looking in the same places. So we have some recruiters that go into swap meets, for example, right? That go into Latino neighborhoods um, that are in places where Latinos are at. And so I I think um, I think that's a great place to start um, is, is to just kind of look at quali- you know, qualitative recruiters that focus on that. Um insightsincolor.com, is a fantastic resource for people that want to try to diversify their qualitative research, not only with recruiters, but moderators, strategists, etc., as well.
0: For the UX researchers listening, we tend to be more qualitative people, and sampling can be challenging for us at times. I know it can be for me when I'm recruiting for my research studies. Mario offers a valuable insight into the importance of working with third parties to help recruit an appropriate sample. He shared a lot of food for thought, and I left our conversation with a lot to think about, not only as a researcher, but as a human. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to take the listener survey on yuziresearch.com. Give this podcast a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And follow Research on Twitter and LinkedIn. We'll chat soon.